Hi, I'm Ray, and you're listening to Insert Quest here. My pronouns are she and they, and today I'm talking to Kat McDonald, game designer and creator of Blazing Him and the upcoming actual play series, Raw to Heaven. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on our show today, uh, Kat. Would you mind further introducing yourself for our audience? Of course. Hi, I'm Kat. My pronouns are she and they. And I am an independent game designer. I am the host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies. And I think my title for Roar to Heaven is going to be Choir Master. At any rate, I'm the GM. Fantastic. I love me an evocative title. Um, I, also I love, must have one. <laughs> I also love uh, long names. Any excuse to give <laughs> a character, a game. Uh, anything, anything to get, uh, any excuse for a long name, uh, in, <laughs> in something that I'm making. Um, speaking of, uh, making things, uh, a question that I love to start with is, when interviewing someone is where or how did you first become interested in making games? And what was that leap into making games like for you? Oh, goodness. I had a dear friend who had a dream literally that uh, a 15 strength was plus 15 and not plus five in Dungeons and Dragons. And my friend chased this dream into his own homebrew system and eventually uh, got me on board as a play tester where I just super fell in love with trying to solve these little problems that were coming up during his tests. And, uh, Eventually, I came on board as an additional designer. Oh, did that? Uh, did that product ever come out, or did no, it stay? No, not private. Not formally. No. All right. Well, we, still, it was a long time ago, but it was, uh, you know, one of those starry-eyed universal systems everyone was making about uh, a decade ago. Yeah, I'm, yeah, <laughs> fantasy heartbreaker. Except it's a, a universal system heartbreaker. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Going to be the next fate. Um, Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I. I mean, a bunch of the early games that I made uh, haven't been uh, finished, and would take more work to get finished than to just start from scratch. Um, how did your how did making games develop from there? Because obviously you've gone on to make uh, make a few. Obviously, with uh, Blazing Him being a big uh, project for you uh, recently. Yes, I. Um, oh goodness, I I fell out of it for a couple of years, and then at one point I decided, you know what? I'm dreadfully bored. I feel like writing, but I don't feel like writing fiction anymore. Uh, so I'm just, I'm going to write a game. And I had a lot of free time at my job because I was working night shift surveillance. So yep. uh, I put together the the first drafts that would become Heroic Chord. And that was actually my first time doing any game design on my own. Uh, up till that point, I had been part of a team. Heroic Chord was my first true solo project. And um, it was pretty much just Heroic Chord and a demon summoning game I call all that I am when um, quarantine hit and I became obsessed with solo games. I played every single player game in the bundle for racial justice and equality and just absolutely fell in love with the medium head over heels in love with solo games. I still am. And that was when I wrote headless guide apex predator 
into the glacier. Most of my solo games have been in the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, well, I I ended up playing. Um, I did a series on Insert Quest here where I played through all. Well, not all, but a a, a selection of uh, the single player games in, that were made for the Emotional Mecha Game Jam, which I also was Ooh. part of. Um, so that was that was a fun time. Uh, and I, I remember following your Twitter posts about uh, about playing through uh, those solo games. And I think you also played Live, Love, Die, Remember, didn't you? Um, I don't know that I have. I know that you submitted it to Solo, but not alone because. Oh, no, no, no. I was, think- I was thinking of a different thing then. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, but um, I, I did not get away to playing all. I think there were over 100 solo games in Solo, yeah. but not alone. I wish I could play all of them. And some are also some are also like categorized uh, differently, like um, or like don't necessarily show up when you're like searching for solo games. That's a problem I had with the Emotional Wicker Game Jam, where uh, my game mm. was listed in. Someone made like a a um, what do you call it? An Excel sheet Ooh. of of all the games and how many players they were for, and they didn't allow things to be in more than one category. So. <laughs> Live, Love, Die, Remember is in the solo game. And I'm like, but you could also play it single player, two player, three player, four player, and potentially more than that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh And that's part of why our rule for solo, but not alone became, instead of just like single player game, it became a game that can be played by yourself. Yeah. Because there are cases like Live, Love, Die, Remember, where there's a solo mode that's perfectly satisfying, but it's not a solo game exclusively. Yeah, and I think, um, God, what is that game called? It's that game that everyone loves. It's like Iron Forged or something. Iron Sworn? Iron Sworn. That's it. That's what I was trying to think of. Iron Sworn has a solo and not solo mode from memory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it's possible to play. So I haven't, but I have. I have the game because of my obsession with solo games, but yeah. I still haven't ducked into it yet. I think I've only ever seen people talk about the solo play aspect of it and the other aspect being like, oh, and you can also play this like in a group with other people. <laughs> um, and, uh, and my understanding is that when it was designed, the solo aspect was like a thing that they were like, oh, you could also probably play this solo. And they like added it on, um, yeah. which is funny how like designs and stuff um, shift. Uh, what was the original idea for Blazing Him? I um, Blazing Him is a special, the very special baby. Um, basically, you interviewed Spencer Campbell, right? Yeah, we talked about our Nova in particular and a few other things. Right, because um, the backstory of Blazing Him is tied to the gamer incident. Oh, nice, fantastic! So, yeah, I'm not sure how much we talked about that on the show. Uh, but, uh, I, I would love to hear a quick summary. Yeah. So when I saw the game that was going to become, um, Nova and was going to become the Lumen engine frame, I immediately backed it. I had to have it because my favorite anime is about powered mech suits. My favorite anime is Symphogear. I love Symphogear. So I saw a frame and I was like, oh, I can hack this into my degenerate anime about people singing to power mech suits. And then it didn't happen because of the gamer incident. And I was devastated. I was enraged. I was, I went through a whole cycle of emotions, a ton of them. 
And then when Lumen was announced, I was like, okay, I can use this, however. <laughs> and this time, no one is going to stop me. Yeah. And like, <laughs> as annoying as that, um, that the those people getting angry about frame needlessly, um, ha- as annoying as that was, it has indirectly led to this explosion of lumen games i think we probably Mm -hmm. still would have had that regardless um but uh but yeah now we have so many lumen games coming out obviously your own examples we have um and we also had uh cleanup crew and cleanup crew is gorgeous isn't it fucking love cleanup crew uh, just okay. the just the concept is is a fun time and uh, and heaps and heaps and heaps of other games that take me oh, too long to I'm list all of them. I've got my like, favorite is Monster Guts. Oh, I haven't heard of Monster Guts. It is a Monster Hunter one. Oh, like monster, like uh, like yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, sick. yeah. It is extremely. That's I love it. Fun. Uh, yes, yeah, and obviously you've got your own. I've got like. Two, possibly three ideas for uh for ones. I gotta do a bunch of uh, I gotta play a bunch of Lumen games so I can learn how to uh yeah. learn how to design it. Um and so yeah, what was it what was it like making uh designing Blazing Him um and taking oh, taking a property that you loved, um, Symphogear, and trying to extract the elements that inspired you and create a game um, that was inspired by, but not the same as um, the thing. I mean, very similar to, because I made a transparent anime fan game and I am unashamed, but, um, (laughs) but it was, um, it was a little bit challenging for me because blazing him is such a departure from my usual style. Mm-hmm. My usual games are very soft, very gentle, uh, conversational in tone, reassuring if possible. Like I'm definitely a like I'm telling you the rules of this game over hot cocoa kind of uh, writer, and that doesn't fit Lumen. That's not how Lumen be. Lumen is uh, only like it's a combat engine, and there's no out of combat rules, and it's just about doing big flashy combat. So I kind of had to learn how to write uh, flashy and aggressive, which uh, I'm not used to, <laughs> which was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And I think at first I was really challenged because I was like, okay, I want to make a Sympho Gear game. But if I just if I just remake the enemies from Sympho Gear, I'm that's a little that's a little too far. Maybe I can do something else. When I hit on the idea to uh, also reference Evangelion by having the enemies be angels. That was when I was like, oh, this is its own thing now. This is what Blazing Him is. Hell yeah. It's, love, it's kind of- love, blasphemy. Love being love, a heretic. Absolutely, we love it. So yeah, it became something like intense and heretical. And it kind of ended up being a little bit darker than Symphogear is, which I'm completely fine with. It's pretty dark for a Magical Girl series, but it's average dark for a mech series. So, you know. Average dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, even even the like child focused uh uh spin-off of uh Gundam has like a subplot, not even a subplot, a primary plot about like what the nature of being alive means and yeah, yeah, what yeah. is <laughs> and cannot be alive. 
I think both of the examples I can think of have that, both Gundam Build Divers and um, this, like, this SD Gundam thing that's, like, about parallel universes. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah so <laughs> my understanding is that music is a key part of uh, Symphro Gear yes. and also is a key part of Blazing Him. What does... Where do, what does that look like to you? And then we'll talk a little bit further down the line about the mechanics aspect of that. Yeah, well, it's um, it's so good. Like, look, Simpho Gear is um, just a, a horny anime, and I wish it wasn't, but it is. But the soundtrack is absolutely killer. It's really, really gorgeous. And each character has their own unique style. And the the diegetic conceit is that they sing to like activate and get power out of ancient relics and so all of the combat sequences are accompanied by vocal numbers which they recorded for the combat sequences like there's battle grunts in there there's like um notes that turn into screams as an attack oh, like, goes like off. their exertion and stuff yeah, yeah 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 so they don't just use the the album the studio version which i love I just love it. <laughs> I loved that conceit so much. So yeah, they're in blazing him in order to activate a hymnal unit. You choose a song from the list and which song you choose impacts what your hymnal unit is capable of. And so from an actual gameplay perspective, are you expecting the players to sing or perform? I am. I am not. Basically, what happens is you mechanically you choose a song from your list. You can sing a love song or a violent song and you just say at the beginning of combat. Yeah, I'm activating my hymnal with a violent song and you get the effects from the violent song. People who want to sing are completely, completely welcome to. But that's anxiety inducing for a lot of people. So, <laughs> no, that's understandable. I just was interested. Um, how how much uh, is there? Is there any guidance related to like how you should for the for the MC and the players, the facilitator and the players? Um, is there any guidance regarded regarding like integrating um, music and or musical description into uh, play? So not necessarily like oh play like a playlist or whatever, but like use these words. I think um, under Hollow Hills has this thing where they're like. When you're describing scenes, use the trappings of stage performance and theatre rather than, like, the trappings of movies. So, like, it doesn't fade to black. A curtain is drawn and things like that. Mm. With, um, with us, it's mostly encouraging the players to reskin everything. Nice. And also, every song has kind of personal questions attached to it. So it's oh. less... So it's mostly like, okay, so you, your character knows a violent song. You can call that whatever you want. You can pick a violent song from your own playlist and say that they're singing that. Like, you're, do it. You can rename your attacks. Please rename your attacks to, like, names of songs or song references. Do it. And the beautiful thing about Lumen is that because things in combat are supposed to be a little bit bare bones, like, I've at every step in blazing him just been like call this whatever you want <laughs> like call this call this whatever fits for you and also when you're thinking about your character try to think about like what kind of music suits them what kind of songs do they sing 
because I think yeah. that that's going to go a long way toward people understanding their character and expressing their character, even if they don't want to literally be singing. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. And so Lumen games, correct me if I'm wrong, tend to have um, resources that, because a lot of the Lumen engine is designed around pulling from um, action video games primarily, but also other sources. So like pulling from Doom and Destiny and um, that other game <laughs> uh, and, and a bunch of stuff like that where, where resources and stuff are dropping. Is there an element of that to Blazing Him as well? There is. And it was mostly just me being loyal to Lumen. I was like, you mm-hmm. know what? Let's put drops in here. Let's <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it for Lumen. So enemies have two potential drops. They can, well, they can also drop nothing, but they can drop an angel scrap, which can be uh, kind of burned to fuel a self-heal sequence. It's a health drop. Cool. And they can also drop a resource, resource. No, they drop condemnation, which is a potent neurotoxin that slowly floods the area. And oh, as combat, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. As combat goes on in Blazing Him, the GM keeps track of the condemnation level. And when it gets too high, players start taking damage. Oh, it's kind of, uh, it reminds me a little bit of um, Kaiju Blue in uh, Pacific Rim, how, uh, how oh, when, yeah. the, when the Kaiju dies, they leak all uh, this like super ammonia rich um, poison into the surrounding area. Yeah. Um, I remember that now. And it contaminates everything. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Some angels can also just do it as part of their turns. Can crank up the the condemnation. So it's like a a rainbow oil slick on the air because I wanted everything to be very rainbow and very threatening. (laughs) Look, rainbows in nature are dangerous. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Except for the light kind, just the animal and plant kind, really. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And slimes. Don't trust a slime that's rainbow colored. Don't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, that sounds fucking awesome. Um, okay. Are there... So, in Nova, you have your different exo frames that you can wear that are kind of filling a similar role to classes or archetypes in other games. Um, is there some? Is there a system like that in... Uh, I went to call yes. it Sympho Gear. Blazing Him. Blazing Him, yes. Basically, in Blazing Him, there are different classes depending on what type of weapon you wield. Ooh. So I kind of rolled the weapon mechanic into the class mechanic because I just didn't want to do weapons. I, I don't like to do weapons in general. Yeah, fuck you. So um, then they're all named after weapons from various time periods and various places. Like your classic sword type is the Tsurugi type. The um the hand to hand combat is the Qatar type. The nice. uh, pole arm is the Zistan. Um, there's a shield called the Pavis, and I did a lot of just googling. I did some yeah, googling. nice but- shield as a weapon type is always really interesting to me. Um, uh, especially when it uh, especially when it doesn't do the Captain America frisbee thing, although that is fun as well. Um. <laughs> Oh, largely the Pavis type does lasers. Fuck yes. <laughs> largely they do lasers. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> like expect that. At all. Oh my god, there's a there's a type of um, Indian weapon. Well, te- 
technically a shield. Lots of people don't like calling shields weapons, but this one definitely an Indian weapon um, that has gun barrels embedded into the surface of the uh, of the shield. And when That's you so cool. and when you squeeze the handle on the shield, the uh, the barrels open and fire. They're flintlocks. Or, oh, that's incredible! Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to build a hymnal that wields that. And the great thing about Lumen is that because it's so bare bones, I was like, these are the abilities you have. Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Do you want to claim more? Do you literally want a katana? I can't do whatever you want. <laughs> Can I have a claymore, as in the anti personnel mine? <laughs> There's a gunner type. Fun. I don't know. Actually, okay. So a claymore's it, like an explosive. It is. It is. Yeah. What I would where I would put a claymore mine is actually in the expansion, which was just released to Edge, called oh. Ashes to Ashes. Oh fuck. What does Ashes to Ashes uh add to the game? Um, it adds a bunch of new hymnal types, it adds some new songs, some new angels, and also mechanics for having ear NPCs get involved in the combat. Oh, cool. Yeah. I assume that NPCs don't have hymnals. They don't. Do they? But one of the core aspects of Blazing Hymn is coming up with this organization that you work for, like your commander and your intelligence director. Like Nerve in Evangelion. Like Nerve in Evangelion or Song in Symphogear. I mandated of course that it it's have called a- Song. <laughs> I mandated that there be a cute acronym that's written in the rules. You oh, gotta have my, a cute the, acronym. Thank the, you. The first Lumen idea that I had, I came up with an acronym for because it was inspired by Call of Duty, uh, the but the science fiction Call of Duty games oh. from the later era of Call of Duty. Duty, mm-hmm. um, and I had the I had wanted the acronym word to be wolf and then i spent like weeks trying to modify the spelling of wolf so that i could reverse engineer it into a into like an acronym like oh yeah this stands for weapons or ordinance um (laughs) it's not easy um loadout frame Uh, oh that's that's good (laughs) yeah it's it's good. But it's, I mean, that's how military easy. that's how military acronyms work. They come up with a cool word and then they'll do anything yeah. to make it an acronym. That's why experimental is always abbreviated as X. True. Because you can you can make a lot of cooler words with an X. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh yeah, Ashes gives the the people behind the scenes uh special abilities that you can call on once per combat that will impact the combat, even though they don't have hymnal units. That's really cool. And one of the classes in Ashes to Ashes is the Garot type, which oh, just does wires. But because they lay a lot of traps, I would absolutely put a claymore mine in there because they have a lot of abilities about like if the enemy does X, they take a bunch of damage. Yeah, that's fucking sick. I now I really want to play like a a claymore mine reskin of the garage type. That sounds amazing. Hell yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's fun. I'm into that. That's oh god, it sounds so good. Um (laughs) and so obvious uh obviously a big thing that we haven't talked about yet, uh obvious to you and I, in probably to the listeners who can see the title of this episode, is Raw to Heaven, which is this actual actual play series that you've been trying to put together. Um to show off 
uh, how amazing uh, Blazing Him is. And so I know that that started a while ago in terms of the project for you, um, a while in terms of indie game design cycle. It's oh, like months. you. It was just like months ago. That was so yeah. many games <laughs> have been released. Months is uh, forever in, in indie game terms. You're absolutely it's right. So long, it's so long, long away. I've been, yeah. When you when you promote something like a month or so out, and it's like, oh, when's this thing going to come out? You didn't just release it <laughs> as soon as it was done. Um, <laughs> so, Raw to Heaven is this actual play that you've been trying to put together. You did uh, you did like a call out for applications mm-hmm. um, a while ago. One of them, yeah. Fuck, I can don't yeah. know. Yeah, that'd be that'd take a lot to narrow down. What was that oh. like? Was there an audition process or just that application and then an interview? There were there were two processes after the application. Um, we invited seventeen people. That's one third of the applicants to a party. Fun. And we basically we were trying to see how well people got along, um, who had good mic manners and who didn't like what kind of people we're dealing with here, what their perspectives are like. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we picked six people and we played one shots with them to see what they were like actually in action. Mm-hmm. And from there, we picked our cast. Yeah, fantastic. That's so cool. And it was, so, and it was now. Fun, but God, I hate disappointing people. I yeah, hate it so to, much. It's hard to say say no, especially in a small um I was going to say tight-knit and interconnected, but it's really more fractured than it appears. Um, but definitely in a small um, role-playing game, in the small industry that is independent role-playing game creation, like lots of people sort of interact with one another. And yeah, often saying no is like I'm, I'm saying no to a friend or I'm saying no to yeah. a friend of a friend. Um, yeah, this is someone who's like work I care about, but they're just not right for this project um, exactly so understand, understandable that that feels weird um have you run uh, a performing project like this before um like this no <laughs> um i am the host king of the multiple award winning i'm not sure how that happened but it did um uh, sorry the multiple award yeah sorry, get, okay <laughs> <bit> of, okay <laughs> I am. I can do it. I can say words. I am the host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies, which is the multiple award winning, yay, playtest campaign of my game Heroic Chord, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And you also mentioned that uh, podcast at the top of the mm-hmm. uh, show as well. I sort of wanted to give you an opportunity to mention it again. Yay. Um <laughs> Yeah, my good, cool friends playtest my game Heroic Chord, but Sword of Symphonies, like Heroic Chord, has a very uh, mellow pace. It's very Mm -hmm. laid back. It's been described as cozy, which we love. That's kind of what we're going for. And Roar to Heaven is going to be 12 episodes, anime-inspired action all the time. So I have done a performance project before, just not one like this. So there'll be a bit of a learning curve there, and um, yeah, and so and you training, pull, <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to do that training montage to increase your power. <laughs> you got to learn a new song. <laughs> I'm running uh, regular one shots on the Discord just to uh, <laughs> just to train, basically. <laughs> yeah, and so actual play is has become like a huge part of the industry. Um, 
obviously. I think lots of people know that and probably are more familiar with like live streaming shows and things like that. Um, but uh, it's such a fantastic like way of bringing in more people into your game and demonstrating. I mean, it's great for demos, like literally mm-hmm. like go listen to this to learn how to play. That's how like so much of how I used to learn how to uh, run games as I would listen to actual plays, but also it's a just a fantastic uh, hype tool, um, just constantly uh, bringing attention to um, to your project. And you also bring in these other other collaborators who are then also invested in um, promoting the project because they are a part of the project, which is one of my favorite things about collaboration, to be honest, is that it extends the reach of your product just by virtue of there are it is now not just my product it is all of these other people's product as well and so yeah uh, they are Absolutely. also they also want to share it um what have been some of the challenges uh of so far with getting raw to heaven uh, ready because you're running a kickstarter at the moment to try and fund get some funding for uh for that um do you want to talk about that <laughs> Well, well, <laughs> yes, I do. Mm. Because two days after we launched, count them two, two days, Kickstarter decided to announce a pivot to blockchain. Does this automatically mean Kickstarter is getting into cryptocurrency? No. Does it pave the way for them to and serve virtually no other purpose? Yes. <laughs> so, Two days after I launched a Kickstarter campaign, my Twitter timeline was flooded with people saying they would never back a Kickstarter again. I was in a panic. I was beside myself. I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> and yeah, and like, yeah, it sucks. That, it's super stressful. Um, <laughs> I know that I was, I, uh, I was. I was relieved when I saw that because I've never run a Kickstarter and I was like, and I have found it daunting um, just imagining trying to run a Kickstarter. And I saw that announcement uh, by them being like, yeah, we're going to shake up our the way our uh, system runs. And I was like, oh, thank Christ. Now I don't have to even bother to learn it because it's going to be shit <laughs> now. Um, and then once, only- that pa- <laughs> once that passed, I was like, so many people in my industry rely on mm-hmm. Kickstarter for better or worse um as a platform for marketing and also funding um projects and so so many people like yourself were panicking like oh i've you know i know one person that like plans their kickstarter projects out alongside their like monthly budget so it's like oh yeah i have to do this many kickstarters this year in order to be able to pay my bills and it's like holy fuck and i mean I'm very lucky. I am a part-timer at game design. I have a full-time job that pays my bills. So I'm luckier than a lot of people in our space when it comes to reliance on Kickstarter. But it's still stressful. Oh, it was so stressful. When you've got something that you have so many hopes for Mm -hmm. just tied up in something that's beyond your control and it just gets spiked like that, it just stings. It stings so bad. So what we did... I was going to say, but obviously your Kickstarter is still going ahead. How have you addressed this? We are launching a parallel itch fund. We basically took all of the digital rewards. I hurried and finished Ashes to Ashes and 
uh, I made an exclusive hymnal for itchbackers. So they get the Kasari Gama type as well. And I just put it on an itch page and it's part of our itch funding sale. So if people want to back us and are uncomfortable with Kickstarter, they can get the same digital rewards from the $25 tier of the Kickstarter on my itch page. Piece of cake. Yeah, fantastic. And so how is the how is the project uh, progressing um, so far? Obviously, it's pretty early in your Kickstarter campaign at the moment. Yeah, it was. Um, and actually, the day of the announcement was actually a really good day for us. And I think part of that is because so many people saw my rage tweeting and my my rage tweets at Kickstarter um, spread a little bit farther than my usual tweets do. And I think a lot of people looked at it who wouldn't have otherwise. I remember the day after the announcement, I saw that somebody had um, somebody had promoted Roar to Heaven. Someone I didn't even know was like, hey, these people don't deserve to be uh, to be screwed over this. And I literally wept. I literally did tears upon my phone. Yeah. Just sat it's... there crying over my cell phone. People have been so much once the knee jerk oh for Kickstarter has worn off, a mm-hmm. lot of people are being more understanding toward people who started campaigns before the announcement and couldn't pivot. Yep. Or people who depend on Kickstarter for their livelihood. And that's good. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm glad that it uh that it hasn't killed momentum and that you're still able to um, keep it going because I'm really excited to see uh, Raw to Heaven uh, come out. Uh, it looks like it is going to be a pretty amazing show. Um, who are some of the cast members that you've lined up? I love my cast. I love my entire cast. They're all perfect and flawless. And by some of, I mean all of them perfect. Um my co-producer is Aaron Cerise from uh, Super Idols RPG, which is an actual play podcast that hacks masks to make a game about idols with superpowers doing performances and fighting evil. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's so good. It's it's incredible. So I knew since I was doing something both musical and kind of magical girl adjacent, I knew I wanted Aaron on board. We have got Kendrick, who is the GM of Tales Yet Told. He is hilarious. He's absolutely sparkling. He's super funny. And he can turn from drama to comedy and back on a dime if he has to. He's <laughs> he's just as good at drama as he is at comedy. Kendrick's uh, a delight. Yeah. That's, that's a very useful talent, especially in role-playing games where uh, tone can be quite... Uh, fluid. I know that I. Uh, oh yeah. People that have played with me know that I'm a real stickler for tone. They'll like say <laughs> something, and I'll be like, "That's really funny and hilarious." Do we think that that actually happened though? With uh, like, does that match <laughs> the tone that we're aiming for? And then everyone's like, yeah. "No, it doesn't." You're right. Yeah. But I'm glad that you have a, a cast that allows you to oh, yeah. switch that fluidity. Uh, who else is involved? We have got Jordan who is in the upcoming, um, goodness, what's the project? Jordan, forgive me. Forgive me. Um, Don't Cast, Don't Tell, which is uh, a Kids on Brooms AP. Oh, fun. Uh, Jordan is going to be part of that. Jordan is uh, so intelligent and so thoughtful and um, genuinely like 
thinks about their character in minute detail and can describe like even very tiny gestures and very little, like little subtle interactions. Like Jordan's an absolute artist. They're a delight to have on board. Um, And my GM from Tales from the Tabletop and from Edge of the World, the person who sent in the single worst application in the pile is uh, my dear Dylan, who is um, tremendous, like just a big, big drama goth, just a absolutely wants everything to be a huge, messy, just drama disaster. And is just has a really powerful command of role play, both in and out of combat. Um, like everyone else on this podcast, Dylan is usually the GM. I have assembled a cast of forever GMs accidentally, and I'm letting them play the game. I think that actually will be like super useful in terms of connecting with uh, story beats, especially in a game like this, that's going to be rather fast paced. And especially considering that you have a like structured amount of episodes as well. Yeah. Um, having people with experience running games as your players, I think, uh, elevates, uh, elevates play a lot because they understand better, um, like what, what a, uh, a facilitator might be trying to do. Um, so they can, they can like, they can, you end up with less like, Oh, are they trying to trick me stuff? It's like, oh no, this is a story beat that we're going for. That yeah. Or exactly. Or this I've is got- clearly clearly a superfluous character that I don't need to like interrogate. Uh, I've got I've I've got utter faith in in all four of them. They are fantastic players and um I enjoyed playing with them when we did those demo one shots. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that we did that so I could get to know them as players as well. And yeah, they're they're all excellent at story beats, which is going to be perfect. Exactly. Like you said, for this like 12 episode structure we're going for. Yeah. I love um, running one shots of a game before um, doing a longer play of it. Uh, just so that it, I, I mean, it helps avoid a really big problem that lots of people have in role-playing games longer form role-playing games where somebody wants to change like an integral part of their character design, like halfway through, or even like on the second uh, session, be like, I'm not enjoying playing a paladin. Can I change to a sorcerer? And it's like, "Um, do we maybe (laughs) want to just make a whole new character then? (laughs) Because that's that's a radical change. Um, (laughs) I, so I really like doing one shot and also it helps people become familiar with the, with the system a bit better. Right. Yeah. And you can do a lot more like turning and twisting the knobs in a one shot where you have no, where you have a less deep emotional connection to the character, a less strong attachment. So you can just sort of be like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to put myself in a horrible situation just to see what this mechanic does and stuff like that. And that's exactly what happened. I got to spend the one shots kind of explaining the finer points of how to play a Lumen game. And they just went into it (laughs) and they, they went into it and they got intense with it, knowing full well that these were one shots and the characters that they're going to be playing in the actual podcast are for the most part, the characters they played in the one shots minus some changes that they made for exactly what you were describing. They, they changed it to kind of better fit everyone else's stories. They're 
they're all very kind of um, very good at teamwork. They're a beautiful team. Yeah, you'd love to hear about it. Um, I was going to say, I love to, I love to say it. It's like I can't really say it. Um, metaphorically, I love yeah, to say yeah, it. Yeah. Um, what was the strangest thing that's come out of the one shots and whatever um, testing you've done? The thing that surprised you the most. And feel free to do more than one thing if you can think of other great examples. Something that came out of play that you're like, oh, I never would have done that or I never would have thought of that or I didn't mm. know that the system could do that. Something that I, surprised I mean, you. Aside from a change I had to make in playtesting because I hypothetically had a song that generated like obscene amounts of gain. I also cut everyone's HP. Oh, that's something that I did because mm. we were doing play and I was like, oh, nobody's even getting a scratch. So I suppose no one will mind if I cut everyone's HP in half. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. The result is that when players get hit, they get hit, but they hardly ever get hit because there's a lot of powers that prevent attacks in blazing him. Yeah. But when they get hit, they get flattened. And I really like that. <laughs> I really enjoy that. Um, <laughs> that kind of combat. Hell yeah. Love to see I think it. Because I love monster hunter so much. Or it's like, yeah. don't get hit. Don't get hit. You'll get turned to paste. Don't get hit. So you mentioned before that, like, your previous, a lot of your previous games are, like, gentler, I guess. Um, something, a problem that I have run into after doing years of, like, um, gentler play is that when I do stuff where I have to, like, potentially kill player characters or whatever, or at least put them in serious harm's way, um, I can't do it. I can't do it like I used to be able to. Um, <laughs> have you run into uh, stuff like that where you've realized that a game calls for like putting characters in mortal danger and like had, yeah, or have you struggled with that or did you, did you find it quite a easy transition? Um, one thing that I um, wanted, I how can I put this? There's a lot of themes of like heroic sacrifice in Symphogear mm. and in Evangelion. And in mecha fiction in general. In mecha fiction yeah. in general. So I wanted that to be possible. So I needed to make rules that enabled characters to die. Mm -hmm. So what we have in Blazing Him is the rule that when a character has zero gain and zero HP, Mm -hmm. They are knocked out of their hymnal. Like their hymnal unit is deactivated. They're a civilian. At this point, the GM must ask the player, is death on the table? If the player says no, the character is safely evacuated. We're fine. If the, if the player says yes, then the character remains in the scene and we see what happens. Hell yeah. Yeah, I really like um, that sort of escalation framing. I've built that into a game that I'm working on at the moment as well to be like... Um, and also was related to HP. I had this problem where the character's HP felt both too high and too low at the same time. Mm. Um, and so I balanced that by having resets that trigger when you get to your last like hit point. It's like, okay, do you pass out in the fight and survive? Or do you keep on fighting and risk death? And uh, when they keep on fighting they clear a small amount of that harm and then go back into the fight um but the next time it's it's serious it's like yeah. you can't do that again it's one once and done um next time it's for real 
Yeah, because that both makes room for people who get attached to their character and genuinely don't want their character to die. And it also makes room for people who want to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, exactly. 100%. I had, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've, I had a very influential um, bit of game design on me was uh, reading the, there's a reskin of the regiment, which is a, band of brothers military um uh powered by the apocalypse game and there's a reskin of it uh call that is about colonial marines from the aliens series so the second aliens the james cameron aliens uh where where there's all the colonial marines and every character in both of those games um regiment colonial marines and the original regiment uh have death moves that advance the narrative so like the the medic character can um uh can ignore a mortal wound until they save someone uh with their like medic skill and then they die by revealing that actually i've been wounded this whole time oh Uh, i love that uh and like the commander character when they die they gain just before they die, they can pass on an insight about how to defeat the alien in regiment. Um, so it's like, oh, you need to do this in order to get out alive. And then they die. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and so they all have these death moves that advance the, the, the narrative um, forward um, in a lot of the cases. So like giving you, I think there's like the specialist who has like the big gun is like, you can die to deal significant harm to the to the alien creature. Yeah. You could just straight up die. You could do it. Do it. Um, yeah. Uh, and so that's I fucking love death moves. Death moves are are especially ones that empower you to like further the the narrative of play. Um, and also like encourage you to like do those dramatic action moments, right? Like like you were love talking them. about giving you the power to like do sacrifices and stuff like that. Yes. There is a song in Simple Gear that if you kill, if you sing it, it will probably kill you. And it's my favorite thing to do for calligraphy practice. And I sing this song a lot and I'm not dead, which must mean I'm a main character, but there is a mechanic in blazing him that uh, you can burn your HP in order to use powers. And there's a power that destroys everything, but, costs 12 hp you have two hp and gain in any combination (laughs) so either you save up turns and do nothing or you dip into your health for those i fucking love anything that lets you um lets you like trade life force to do like a dramatic power like the best scene in highlander 2 is when ramirez is like ah yes mcleod I'm Egyptian and I'm going to sacrifice all of my life force in order to destroy this giant death trap. <laughs> I'm going to sum up all of my immortal power in one place at one time and the fan will slow down slightly so that we don't die. <laughs> uh, and then he turns to energy as Amazing Grace plays on the bagpipes from nowhere. Because oh, again, yeah. he's Egyptian. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's the best scene. It's the best. It is unironically the best scene in Highlander 2 because it's it's a stupid movie and that's but that's still a super emotional yeah. moment. And it's such a cool power to be like, yeah, I'm going to take the potentiality of total unending immortality and focus it into my fingertips to stop a death trap. And sure, I'll die, but we'll all win. Uh and I fucking love shit like that. Yeah. Yes. That's how uh, you do it. Yeah. Um, so how long is left on? Well, actually, no, that's a bad question because we don't know when this episode's coming out yet. Uh, as of recording, just a little behind the scenes. Um, when does the uh, crowdfunding campaign end? It ends on the 5th of January, 2022. Oh, fun. So you can get a nice New Year's Eve present for yourself. Here's um, hoping. Here's hoping. Um, fantastic. And so where can people find out more about you, more about your games, more about this, uh, more about Roar to Heaven? Uh, where can they follow your projects? You can follow me and Roar to Heaven and Peach Garden Games all on Twitter at Catling Gun at Roar to Heaven and at Peach Garden RPGs. And you can find lots of stuff, loads of things on the Peach Garden Games website, which is just peachgardengames.com. And you can check out the Kickstarter directly. I have been informed it's in the show notes. It is. It's in fact right down below, either on SoundCloud or the main podcast website. Uh, you'll be yeah. able to find links to all of that stuff down below. And you'll also be able to find links to our other interview series um, episodes. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this interview uh, and want to find more like it, just click on the interview playlist or the interview tab. Uh, and we have like 50, 55, I think, as time of this recording uh, episodes. Um uh, yeah, so there's heaps and heaps and heaps of these interviews with game designers that you can go and listen to uh, and find out more about how people make their games and what goes into designing them. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, um, you can support us on Patreon and Coffee. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the episode, Kat. It was great talking to you and thank you my for pleasure. indulging my sean connery impersonation you did um, a lovely job i've never met the man <laughs> and now we never will because he's dead <laughs> um uh yeah farewell from the past i'm ray <laughs>